This is Gramercy, the podcast that highlights the stories of those who live and work on the margins of society. I'm your host, Corey Malat. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Welcome to Season 2. This season, the focus is on listening to the voices of our Black friends, neighbors, and strangers in order that we might better learn from their experiences of what it's like being Black in America. Today, I am so happy to introduce you to my new friend, Ralph Monroe III. He is a modern-day Renaissance man. He's a poet, father, husband, podcaster, graduate student, preacher, audio and video producer, graphic artist, and business owner. I got them all. But I knew he was my new best friend when I read in his bio that bookstores are like candy stores for him. We are kindred spirits. Unfortunately, you don't have the benefit of seeing him while he is talking. If you did, you would see a man who never stops smiling. His joy of life is contagious. He is a deep thinker with a poetic mind and a captivating way of expressing his thoughts. Without further ado, here is Ralph Monroe III. Well, Ralph, I'd like to welcome you to the Gramercy Podcast, and I am just so incredibly grateful you are here, and I look forward to hearing your poetic words that speak towards and against racism. Thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, because we're going to have such a deep talk about racism, <laughs> I'd like to start a little bit easier um, yeah. with the easy question. Who are three people, alive or dead, that you would love to invite to dinner? Uh, yes, I actually like this question. Uh, Good. One, <laughs> that helps. <laughs> what, it's funny because you said like a, a lighter question. It is a lighter question, but my people are deep, I guess you could say. Uh, <laughs> well, I can tell already you run deep and that is why I already have this immediate connection because like knows like, right? Yes, totally. Uh, my first one would be Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Oh, uh, for those who don't talk know about that. going deep. <laughs> I love so, Dietrich. Yes, Dietrich is awesome. For those who don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, he was a pastor in Nazi Germany, and he vocalized out against the regime, out against the genocide that was happening. Um, quick and short, he got arrested. Um, he got killed. But uh, I would love to talk to him. Just, you know, how do you, about the internal struggle that was going on inside him, had to, especially if he's a pastor and a Christian, like, mm -hmm. you know, um, the Bible we hear about, you know, do not kill. But I mean, he was charged for the uh, being, mm -hmm. uh, for the plot to assassinate Hitler. So I would love to know what's going on inside of his mind. You know? Isn't that the truth? And he was, he was um, adamantly nonviolent, yet yes. he chose that moment yeah. to do violence. So like you said, yeah, the internal struggle. Yes. I would love to hear his take on it. Amazing. My second person, it would be actually two people. So it's like one dinner, but two people. It would be uh, Dr. King and Malcolm X because uh, they both were influential in the civil rights movement. Uh, and they both had the uh, same vision, just different means, freedom, mm -hmm. equality, and equity. Uh, for mm -hmm. for the people, uh, just different means, mm -hmm. but I think both were needed um, for the time. Uh, yes. it was, um, so that I'll leave it there. For, so Dr. Kim and Michael Mix, both of oh. those uh, men, I would love to have dinner with them just to pick their brain. And the last one is my grandfather, who mm. uh, died before I was born, uh, which is where I get my my name. I'm the third, Ralph Joseph Monroe the third. Mm -hmm. He's the senior. My dad is the junior. Mm -hmm. um, and he also was um, a pastor, uh, and he was very known in our community. Uh, many people speak highly of him, but I never mm -hmm. got to meet him. Oh, what so, a loss. <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. love to meet him. And um, how much of him is in you? Like, you would love to be able to see how much of him passed yes. down, right? Yes. I, I think one of my uh, favorite quotes uh, is from him, just because it's from him. Um, yeah. I kind of... I, I agree, but I also disagree with it. It's called, he said, from what I heard, he will always say, every day can be beautiful if you make it. Um, so I agree with it, but I also disagree with it, but I love it because it's from him. 
<laughs> yes, I can see how you can get, only poets can verbalize things succinctly enough to have that deep meaning. And that is such a succinct quote, but right. it does run deep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, why don't you go ahead and share with us what it was like growing up being you? What were some of your highs and lows? Wow. Life lesson. It was hard growing up. Um, we, I thought it was normal growing up without water, without uh, utilities, without heat. My mom was a single mother and it was six of us. Uh, we, were, uh, we were an American impoverished uh, family mm. uh, in an impoverished community. Um, but I thought that was normal and it blew my mind when I got to college. I'm like, wait, you, you always had water, <laughs> you know, <laughs> talking to my peers, like that was normal. <laughs> wow. So, you, so I, I like, it wasn't until I went to college where I realized like, oh, I was impoverished, you know? Um, I re yeah. So growing up was hard. Um, my, my biological father, uh, wasn't in my life. Um, the earliest person of influence in my life was my first stepdad he was a part of the nation of islam um, uh, and then my mom uh, divorced him and then my second stepdad was a person he was uh, addicted to crack cocaine and so he uh, owed a lot of people different things and it just was always like a sense of danger growing up um and um what that know, must do to your psyche oh, i can't imagine a lot. Um, he was in and out. Uh, my first stepdad, when he left, when they divorced, I was looking for a, a role model at that time. I, I had uncles, but um, they you know, had their own families. And um, I just needed someone to look up to. And talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, I remember watching the History Channel. And one of the people that the History Channel was doing a segment on was Hitler. And I was captivated by him. And he became a role model for my adolescent years. And um, so, you know, just I was captivated by his power, his influence, and um, I knew like what he did and stuff like that. But I thought like, OK, that's what a man looks like. That's what a man's supposed to be. And, that's interesting uh, that that's how your brain connected that. And you thought this is a role model and you had nobody else to talk to about it. So you just yeah. rolled with it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Wow. All this internal stuff fostering inside of my my psyche uh -huh. and uh beginning to lay foundation inside of uh, my mentality of what of what i would be in life mm -hmm. um and so uh i was always a deep person and taught even younger so i'm always thinking about like okay if i'm going to be like hitler then i need to get into politics i need to you know hurt people and you know uh, use fear as a tactic to control people um so that's what it was like growing up, you know. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's interesting that you read that you studied him that much that you knew that's what he was doing too. Yeah, I was always I was always intrigued. I've always was mature at that at a younger age, and I always was in deep thought and thinking about future things and how my life would be in the future. Mm -hmm. So it was it was hard growing up. Um, I did fall into depression. Um, uh, in my middle school years, I would say, uh, I fell into depression, uh, tried to commit suicide twice, I failed. Um, and then I got really mad and angry with Christianity and God because my family was, um, they professed to be Christians, but yet everything around me was deteriorating and, and mm -hmm. the environment was terrible. Well, that and, makes uh, sense that you would, that yeah. would be a natural reaction for sure. Yes, exactly. It's so, um, so I went on the, uh, uh, um, I guess a war path to, uh, prove that God was not real, that, mm -hmm. um, everything that Christianity was a farce, that all religion was terrible. And so in my findings, I actually became like, it became, it started off in anger, but it developed into a habit to just study the Bible, study scripture. And, uh, I, I remember I found every version of Bible that I could find. And this was during my, my freshman high school years. I'm finding every version of the Bible I can find to prove Christianity wrong. But it, it just became a habit. I fell in love with it. And then after a while, you know, after some awesome, you know, um, you know, encounters with, uh, with you know, God and 
uh, reading the word, I'm like, wow, God is real, you know? <laughs> so I give my life uh, to God and became a Christian. Uh, Isn't that crazy? Own. That just, yeah. I find that almost hilarious. Like the opposite of what you set out to do happened to you. And you yeah. are seriously working. I mean, yeah, sounds yeah. like you, I am setting the record straight here. And <laughs> I love that. The joke was on you. Yeah, we all have our capacity for which we can absorb things. Uh, but I, I do believe that there, uh, anyone can grow their capacity for knowledge mm. and learning. My big thing in life is um, I love, I'm a, I want to be a learner all the days of my life, you know, nonstop. Me too. Um, because learning begets more learning. It begets more capacity to learn. It begets uh, information to consume. Um, not, you know, you got to be wise with it because you can't get overwhelmed with a lot of learning. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, in moderation, it's, all, it's amazing. I think people can grow that capacity, which is a beautiful thing about podcasting once again. Because if, if one can't, doesn't have time to sit and study, you can listen to people who, who are chatting about it. So it's awesomeness. Yes. And it gives you the ability to self-reflect. Like yeah. when I'm listening to your podcast, it makes me think, oh, what did I think about that? And mm -hmm. what do I think about that? And, <laughs> and sometimes it's scary to question long held beliefs or thoughts and oh, yeah. um, ideas. So it is, it's a very positive way of, and it's a non-threatening way of yeah. podcasting, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's beautiful because you're, 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 you're learning about the person you're, yes. you're going into their life. Like I, like I said, it's, it's the public discourse that that's ha that happens. Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the things that uh, before podcasting and when it was blog, before all the um, internet, whatever like that, one mm -hmm. of the things that people would have to do to go outside to experience the world is travel. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people could not do that. But the beautiful thing about podcasting, the beautiful thing, uh, I would say podcasting for the most part, because social media, um, there can be, you know, where it sets up visions. Uh, but yes. podcasting is a longer form of conversation a longer form of dialogue, of disagreement, agreement, but you understand a person's heart and where they're coming from. You hear the intentionality of their to of tone of voice and mm -hmm. where they're coming from. And so it gets the person, but also the listeners, mm. uh, a, yes. a, a window into that person's life and their background. And then you, they, and, and it opens up their heart and their mind to, uh, that, uh, uh, to that person's social location. Did you always have this drive and desire to go to college? And I would imagine having grown up without water and utilities, that's not a, a natural course of thought, but yeah. being the deep thinker that you were, I can also see how maybe this was something you always had in mind. So I'm curious as to how, <laughs> how you ended up in college. Yes, funny story actually. I remember, um, I think it was my junior year in, uh, no, my senior year in high school. Um, at this time, I'm just studying the Bible. I am uh, just consumed with it. And I'm not even thinking about the future, actually. <laughs> really? uh, but I'm in class and um, uh, the teacher, they do, they pass the sheet around paper about like which college you're going to go to. And it wasn't until that moment, which was like almost towards the end of the school year, where they're like, which school are you going to go to? And I was like, is this something I'm supposed to do? I don't know. I had no knowledge of college or, or even like, should I, no one told me about it. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the first time I heard about college was in that school, in that classroom at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I just wrote down what I saw the most, which was uh, a community college near my, uh, my uh, community. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause that's all I saw that was on the paper sheet that people kept <laughs> writing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, after that, I went home and I actually began to look for colleges. Um, we had like a, we had a small computer, like one family computer. And I was looking for colleges and I applied to Michigan State University. I actually got accepted there, um, but I didn't go. I chose actually to stay at the community college that I went to. Uh-huh. Uh, and so uh, once I got there, um, yeah, my, it, that was a mind opener, but then learning to actually go transfer out and go outside of the community college after I uh, got my generals, 
uh, that was even more of a mind opener of like, this world is bigger than my community. This world is bigger than uh, what I've grown up in my little bubble. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Did you but, end up going to Michigan after the community college? No, I actually, um, so I went to community college uh, and I was getting my associate's degree in art, but then I learned that there was a radio station there. Um, and I really loved the radio. I really loved listening to people on the radio, mm-hmm. you know, the podcasting before podcasting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I realized that media was this amazing tool that could be used to help shape people's thoughts and minds. You know, the, the, the term television programming is because you want to program people. You know, you can program to think however you Ooh. want them to think. Uh, or I hadn't thought of that. Think. Yes, it's crazy. Uh, but um, media is very a very powerful tool, which is the same thing Hitler used even in his day. Uh, he used different forms of media. One, mm-hmm. medium, one medium that he used was a book, you know, to, proper, yes. uh, to promote his ideologies and that people consumed. Yes. And so I, at that time, I was like, well, I knew I found out there's a radio program here. I was like, maybe, maybe I can learn radio and then begin to, you know, speak about, you know, different things that help make the world a better place about making, you know, put good news out there because the only news I heard at that time was bad news. Mm-hmm. And so as history uh, makes it, uh, I went, I, I passed radio television, but there's a guy there who was like, Hey, you should transfer to Southern Illinois university Carbondale, which is where I went to. He said, you should, you can, you should continue your degree out there and get into television as well. And mm-hmm. I was like, Sure. Why not? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's where I, I, I transferred out there. I finished my degree and, um, you know, met my wife out there and et cetera. And that's, you know, the history um, just took, took off from there. That's incredible. I love it. I love hearing those success stories of people who never even considered college ending up graduating and yeah and it just betters the next generation's life like it gets you out of that cycle doesn't it yeah i mean the the environment i grew up in the the cycle was for for young adults or young people in general was uh either drugs um or just going into the cycle of impoverished place you're just working and you the cycle repeats itself mm-hmm. i w- i was the first male from my family to graduate college mm-hmm. um and um, so it was like a huge burden, a huge victory, but a huge burden as well. I hadn't thought of it as a burden, but I can see that. Like everyone's looking up to you and mm-hmm. the expectation has to be pretty strong <laughs> and high. Very wow. <laughs> so did your mom ever even have time to explain racism to you or was it just a fact of life growing up? I would say my first unconscious or subconscious run in with it was my with my first stepdad when he because he was a part of the nation of islam Mm. um and uh for those who aren't familiar nation of islam um they uh are a group uh they uh they by their own means they seek out you know uh black empowerment Mm -hmm. for the people for communities um and so my first instance of hearing anything about, um, not about racism, but about the world that we live in um, was through my stepdad, not through conversation, but by influence, prox- influence through proximity. Mm-hmm. I, I can hear him speak about uh, the oppression, the suppression. Uh, we will hear uh, Muhammad Farrakhan uh, and um, hear him uh, talk about, you know, um, the white, uh, devils, <laughs> as mm-hmm. they say, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we would hear all the, I would hear all those things, and even my grandparents, uh, even though they were not a part of that, uh, my granddad on my my brother, we have a different father, so his granddad, which I also call granddad, mm-hmm. uh, he would talk about his struggle growing up. He li- he's in his eighties now. Mm-hmm. I would hear my grandmothers talk about her struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't talk about it to us because, you know, we're children. We better be in the other room. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> but I would hear these things. And so I didn't know the term was racism, but I knew that uh, this is what life would be for me 
or for the my people mm-hmm. uh, because that's just how it is <laughs> you know just yeah talk about it. yeah so you kind of heard it through the grapevine from the adults yeah. talking and that became <laughs> your reality yes also i think a lot could be said to just putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. And if you have been the people, and like, and I feel the same way when you're describing Nation of Islam, if you have been under the heel of somebody else your whole life, if you have seen the disparity between, well, these people get this and we just get this, you can understand why Mm. people are looking at all these other ways of trying to make life make sense and make society more equal. I, I get it. Yeah. I understand. I don't have to agree with those ideologies or philosophies to understand that we didn't have the same, we don't start at the same base level. Mm-hmm. Things have gone different for so many different groups of people. So I don't blame them for looking for black empowerment. I don't blame them for looking for more equality and other ideologies. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would do well to just stop and put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Yes, that's so true. I mean, humility, that's what it it takes humility. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a, there's a quote by Dr. Keen. uh, If I can remember it, he says that nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. I, I feel like that speaks to not putting yourself in other people's shoes because you're ignorant of what they go through. Mm-hmm. You're ignorant of what they've been feeling, mm-hmm. you know, and that ignorance plays a part into uh, self-preservation. It plays a part into uh, racism mm-hmm. because you don't know, you, you don't know whether it's if even if it's intentional ignorance or unintentional ignorance. You have to you have to take yourself out uh, of your social location, which is your community, what your your ideologies, your upbringing, et cetera, and and even if it's through a book or whatever it may be, place yourself in that other person's shoes, like you said. Um, and, and from that, you can begin to foster some understanding. You still may disagree with it, but at least you understand it and understand their plight, you know? Yes, I like that phrase you said, foster understanding. And, you know, for a long time, my whole ideology has been based around a lot of these isms happen because of ignorance. Mm-hmm. And then I was reading um, Ibram Kendi's book, um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And he mm-hmm. says, racism is not caused by hate and ignorance, but by self-interest. What mm-hmm. do you think of that? That turned everything upside down for me. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Let me think about it through this lens now. Could they both be true? Self-interest. I definitely believe that plays a part. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it's a melting pot. I would say it's a melting pot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a firm believer in that wisdom has two sides. And so there's always two Mm. sides to the coin of what the problem or the issue may be. Um, And so I would say this, I I was, I agree with him uh, and say that it's a melting pot of uh, self-interest, even hate. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some people just, you know, some people, as they said in Batman, Mm -hmm. some people just like to see the world, world, world burn. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a yes. And, yeah, I guess be, and, yeah. We don't have to just, it doesn't have to be binary. It can be, yeah. Uh, cause, there's many different things being put in this pot that, yeah, that totally. cause it to grow. Yeah, I yeah. agree. What types of microaggressions do you have to deal with on a daily basis? And on the same vein, do you even like the term microaggression? Some people say <laughs> passive aggressiveness. Some people have other, other phrases they prefer. Mm-hmm. What about you? This question is awesomeness because it gets me to think <laughs> what about, you know, what I think about it. Because personally, I never thought about microaggressions. I don't think about those things. I think yeah. my, I think my upbringing and uh, my under, uh, from what I've learned from my grandparents about, you know, um, you have to, you are in control of your responses. So you need to, you know, make, make do. If you went to my grandfather, he had a third grade education. He didn't go to school. He dropped out him and his wife after a while uh, from being in the South, moved up to Illinois. Mm-hmm. And he began working, worked for the city, 
and now he owns owns like six homes on one block. <laughs> what a success story! I love it, right? And so he and one thing I remember he always told me he said, "Ralph, I had a third grade education, and now by God's grace, I have this, all of this, mm-hmm. these things." Mm-hmm. He said, "You have a college degree. What are you going to do with it?" And I'm like, well, man, the pressure's on that one, you know. <laughs> he puts it back on you, right? Yes. Yeah. And so I, I understand. I I can understand where people even engage in microaggressions and talk about it, um, and even you know, e- could even look for it. I, for me, because of my upbringing, um, I believe that my response in situations is key, mm-hmm. and so for better or for worse, sometimes I don't see it when I, if I do see any microaggression or even, um, I don't even know what another word to call it. If I do see some blatant, uh, uh, uh bypassing of who I am as a person, you know, mm-hmm. then, uh, then I, w- I just, I just take it. I'm like, okay, this is the society I'm in. I'm not going to allow this to affect me as a person, nor affect the legacy that I'm meant to leave or I'm striving to leave for my children and children's children, next generation. I can, I don't want to become part of, um, I don't want to become part of a problem or, or feed into the problem uh, mm-hmm. by uh, focusing on something that's micro, as we call it, micro. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though big my attention would not be focused on that because i'm thinking of the future i'm thinking of a greater legacy that i need to live i'm thinking for my children uh i'm thinking about ways that uh way, ways that in the macro in the macro i can help affect change um by passing down uh, knowledge information mm-hmm. and um to to younger people because uh in all reality, the system, unless the system changes overhaul completely, is going to take our children and then their children's children and their mm-hmm. children's children. This is a generational work. You know? So that doesn't overwhelm you. The thought of that doesn't overwhelm you or you don't despair of it for your kids' sake. No, um, because wow. I, I, I believe that um, I have to teach them how to navigate and how to be balanced. The key is balance in all of this. Uh, balance of, yes, you feel anger. Yes, you understand it. Yes, you see it. Yes, you, uh, you uh, carry the burden with other people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you look towards the future. You, uh, you work uh, for, that, uh, for the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that our society has forgotten. Um, is the next generation and with that comes humility you have to be humility to not think of yourself you have to you have to have humility to think of others more than you think of yourself and so with humility then you will begin to think about the next generation you begin to think of how can i help the next generation yes you help the here and now you don't neglect the here and now but you also have to help the next generation it's that yes and thing that we were just talking about yes yes here and the next generation Wow, Ralph, that is so heavy and deep. I mean, you are my teacher today because I needed to hear this. I really needed to hear and and see how you face this. And and maybe it's just because to me, this is all new. And if you consider mm-hmm. new within the past 10 years, um, the reality of this, mm-hmm. of what groupings of people have had to live with, what systemic injustices there are in the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I'm taking it all on recently and it's all new to me, it's so overwhelming and mm-hmm. it's, it's so much. And the anger and the despair and the sadness and the, the weight of it sometimes is too much to bear. And I, I imagine, oh my goodness, what are the people going through it feeling? And from listening to you, you're feeling hope. You're feeling optimistic. <laughs> you're feeling forgiveness. You're feeling you see the long haul you see the it's a it's a marathon not a sprint and i'm just astounded i'm sitting here in awe over what you're teaching me and thank you so <laughs> much it's no really problem. helping me because you're not focusing on the racism you're fighting mm. it 
but you're not focusing on it. Yeah, I, I will. If I, if you don't mind, can I share the poem that I wrote called "Vexed"? Please, please um, do. Because I think for me, it captures everything that I feel inside in regards, uh, in regards to racism, in regards to uh, oppression from every multiple people groups. Um, mm -hmm. And I hope that um, from it, that uh, anyone who's listening can hear uh, the, the battle that wages inside, me, inside of me, but also the hope that I, that I see. Mm -hmm. And so it goes like this. It says, vexed, annoyed, irritated, infuriated, disturbed, exacerbated, perturbed, frustrated, heartbroken, anguished, anguished crushed, isolated, grieving, shattered, downcast, mentally suffering, oppression, suppression, injustice, I'm tired of it, but got suffering, pain, sacrifice, I think of it, stay steadfast, unwavering, unchanging is what God speaks to me, but how do I keep loving, interceding, believing in this society, my faith, conviction, hope is in him, God's grace, his spirit, his truth break through us like waters breaking a dam. God's justice will roll on through and righteousness will flow like a stream leading back to you. Yes, I'm vexed, but will remain steadfast and be a voice until I breathe my last. Um, and then the scripture I think of is Isaiah 117. It says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and plead for the widow's cause. So it's both vexation, you feel the hurt, you feel the pain, uh, not suppressing it at all, but at the same time, having hope, having mm -hmm. faith that something will change, whether even if it's not in my time, it ha it's going to change in my son's time or my son's children's time, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Oh, Ralph, that is just so beautiful. I have tears in my eyes. <laughs> it really, really spoke to me. Oh, thank you. Um, and I see, you know what it is? It's that non-dual consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's that ability to see what is and what will be mm -hmm. and hold them both in tension. Yeah. And that's what you do. That's what you're doing. That's the hope you give. You're not over here just you know, all Pollyanna, oh, life's wonderful and things are great and everything's great. You speak to what is, but you don't stay there. You don't hold on to the negative. Mm -hmm. Well, that's my lesson for today. <laughs> I, another thing that I appreciate about you and so many people I've spoken with is that you choose to not be a victim. Yeah. That's a horrible mentality to stay under, mm -hmm. no matter who you are, what race, class, ethnicity, religion, any of us can choose to be a victim to our circumstances. And mm -hmm. it, is, it is plainly evident that you have not chosen that in your <laughs> life. And you're probably teaching your children to do the same. Yeah, I would, I would, I would even say, and this is the whole thing um, of even balance. I, uh, that's my whole thing, being balanced. My wife uh, has definitely balanced me uh, because I used to be more so like, I'm going to be just apathetic about all of this. Ah. Uh, I, I walked on that side where I'm like, it is, this is crazy. This, this is where we live. This is what we do. This is how we operate because society sucks. And mm -hmm. I just was apathetic. Another killing is going to happen. Uh, but, mm. uh, and so I would just continue to look towards the future not really caring for the present and then missing it completely. But when I got married yeah. with my wife, she was, my wife is completely, was completely on the other side where justice now, you know, help these people now. Yeah. And through refinement of just marriage and our relationship, it has brought us close, us both closer to being like in this place of, I guess, both the here and now, but also looking towards the future. Because uh, even with um, victim mentality, uh, even with oppression, uh, even with uh, whatever the case may be, whatever, whatever title or uh, role you want to add on it or whatever verb you want to put on it, mm -hmm. my, my advice or my hope is that 
the person understands the both because I was once victim, even though I did not, even though I didn't want to uh, understand or believe it. I played the victim. I understand the victim's role and to understand the victim's role and what they go through and how they look and operate. You have to place yourself there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have to, all right, this is what's happening, Mm -hmm. but not having that victim mentality. It, it, it takes that. It takes being, being able to be there to come out of that victim mentality. Uh, So even, even people who, um, who are like still, as we say, play the victim, uh, be play the victim. Uh, there's a reason. <laughs> True. Yeah. It's not meant to negate the fact that yeah, you yeah. were a victim. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah it yeah. shouldn't negate the fact that you have had to be in that position. Yeah. But what you do with it, kind of like you said, yes. what your grandfather Response. said, right? Response. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so that's the whole key, I think, is um, take, if someone is in that position, uh, putting yourself in the mud with them and showing them how to respond, mm. you know? Yes. Ralph, you are such an encouragement to me today. I needed oh, to awesome. hear what you had to say. Well, how, how do you typically deal with people's insensitivities or even blatant racism? How do you deal with it when you run into it? Um, when you see somebody else being affected by it or if your children were to be affected by it, yeah. what, what would you say and how have you reacted? Well, it's quite interesting because <laughs> I've never, I've experienced racism once openly. Really? Yes. Um, all the other times no one has come up to me or I've never seen it uh, openly because I think because I'm a black man with a beard. Oh, really? A fear? Fear of yeah. you? Yeah. Um, and I, 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 they, I don't have to see it or uh, see it verbally or hear it verbally. And I don't have to um, see it. Um, but I can, it's like I can feel it. Oh, I imagine. I imagine. Yeah. But they don't see your smile. I mean, if they just saw your <laughs> smile, they'd be like, oh, well, yeah, he's a teddy bear. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know, right? What, would you mind sharing your one instance of, of experience? Oh, yeah. It was um, a sophomore year in college. Um, it was before I had a beard. <laughs> but because of uh, just how I talked and uh, my friendship with uh, Caucasian brothers and sisters, um, I remember being in, a class, in my radio class and uh, this uh, white brother he, uh, we were all just talking and he was like, and he dropped the N word and, and I gave him a look, but he's like, Oh, Ralph, he's, he's not black. It's okay to say it around him. Oh no. And I, my, in that moment, a lot of thoughts ro- went to my mind. I can't imagine. Because one, myself, I don't say the word. Yeah. Uh, two, I remember what my grand, my grandfather said, your response is everything. How do you respond to that situation? So in my mind, I was like, how do I respond to this situation? And number three, I was like, why does he not think, why does he not think I'm black? So all these things are swirling through my mind. The other one, I was like, I really want to like actually hurt this guy because he doesn't understand, like, do you really not understand what that word means and the implications of it? I thought Uh, we were friends. (laughs) I know, right? So what did you choose to do? I said nothing. Really? Yeah, at you that didn't time defend I, yourself. At that time, I said nothing, because um, as a person deep in thought, I I had to process what just happened. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't really, I don't want to, I don't like to be a person of that reacts, mm-hmm. reacts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm more so a planner and a uh, being proactive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went and under and I tried to assess like why did he say that? What made him say that? Uh, was it in our conversations and different things of that nature? So um, come to find out, it was just you know because I'm in, in college, I'm a little bit more educated or seemed a little bit more educated than mm-hmm. others. I'm not. I my my taste of music was not uh, hip hop or rap, but rather it was 
listen to some classical or listen to some jazz. Mm-hmm. I listen to jazz because my dad was a jazz musician, you know? Mm-hmm. And so just all these different things played a part to what him and his understanding was black, not uh, in, in the minimal understanding that no one is a monolithic people. Mm. <laughs> did, you, did you ever have a conversation with him about it later on? No. No, uh, you never brought it back up. See, I would not have that self-discipline. I would be all, I would be all like, can we talk about that? Um, I'd like to get to the bottom of it. But you just forgave him, it sounds like. Well, yeah, at that time, um, as I said, I was, uh, in, un, in my understanding of the world, I was like, this is how it is. It was an ignorant, it was an ignorant um, uh, quote or ignorant thing that he said. And so I was like, I'm not going to give in to that ignorance uh but also at the same time i did not know how to approach him or what to say to him or what he would even think of me like the implications of me approaching him would be Mm -hmm. you know would uh do Mm -hmm. um but i think now over time it has changed Mm -hmm. to where uh even if i ever heard someone say the same thing oh ralph is not black because of this 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 or even saying the n-word in front of me then that changes because now I'm more I'm more able to articulate articulate my words mm-hmm. and why and how I feel because I have the experience now to ponder uh, uh, and go through my mind of why someone would say that mm-hmm. uh, and then now I can approach someone else if I ever heard it or if someone never said I'm not black <laughs> I would actually yeah go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I spoke with another uh, woman earlier um, this month who wrote a beautiful art- article on seeing color and why it's important to see that color, how the beauty in it and, and the diversity in it. Like it, she said, if you don't see color, then you don't see me. And I think he probably thought he was trying to compliment you but <laughs> in a backwards, demented way, but yeah. But it wasn't because it wasn't recognizing the full value of who you are. And for some reason, the lack of color is a positive thing in your life. Like, <laughs> yeah. how, how warped is that thinking, right? We, we've all succumbed to societal norms, good, bad, mm-hmm. or indifferent. So what if, what if somebody challenges your children with this? Or how are you going to bring up this topic to your sweet little ones? Mm. And I, I do think about that. I think about, you know, me growing up not having a conversation about racism and just hearing it through the grapevine of my parents or my uh, guardians talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do think about what would I say to him. Um, for me, I would, it'll be a, a mixture of several things. Uh, one, it'll have to be laying, to, laying it to him straight that we live in a systemic um, society that is um, trying to figure itself out and where it wants to go. Like even now, I feel like we're at a crossroads of where we're going to go as a society, as a country. But let let being truthful about the reality that is out there. Uh, right now, he's so innocent and just playing and stuff like that. I love it. Mm, he hasn't yeah. he hasn't had to encounter any of that yet. No, and um, you want to keep that innocence for as yes. long as possible. The beauty of it, the joy know. of living. I yeah, know. once you become a parent, you just see the world through your kids' <laughs> eyes, and yes, it's such a gift, isn't it? Beautiful. I love it. I love it. But yeah, I would. It would definitely be to tell him the truth about society that we're in, that we live in, um, and at the same time. Uh, I would definitely pass on what was spoken to me about how he's in control of his responses, um, not to uh, dismiss the feelings that are there, but to embrace those feelings, mm-hmm. but also embrace future hope, embrace a future that he cannot see in the moment, and then take the two and make something of it. <laughs> and figure out what are you going to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would, I think I would talk to him and my daughter about that um, uh, because I really believe that, you know, they're, especially my daughter, she's, she's going to be a black woman in America. 
as 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 my wife, yeah. you know, uh, educates me about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, black women being at the bottom yes. of society, of this society. Sadly, which it's it's crazy, uh, and so even that would be a challenge. And I think more than speaking to them about it, I have to show them how to deal with it. Yes, and yes. I have to model it. You yes. Know? Um, That's the best teacher. Your children are going to do what you do. Yes. Hundred percent. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes. Oh, I'm sad to see this interview come to an end, (laughs) but I will start asking you your closing three questions. Okay. What is your tip to make the world a better place? Hmm. Definitely humility. <laughs> mm, that has been um, a theme of what yes. you've spoken of. Yeah. Yes. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take humility mm-hmm. to make a, the world a better place because uh, our, our uh, like I said earlier, our society is, um, for the most part, it has been like this, for me growing up, it's been um, individualism. Yes. The sense of community. It's, it's going to take humility to, mm-hmm. to, to break that and take humility to think you can't even really in reality you can't think about the next generation if you don't have humility because you're mm-hmm. you're trying to preserve yourself and your way of life now mm-hmm. that you miss the next generation completely mm-hmm. you know and, and and that speaks to so many different areas in society mm-hmm. where we are so focused on it now whether it's our political leaders what can i do now what are you guys going to do now? Yes, you yes you focus on the now. You help the now, but you also have to think about the future implications of your actions and what that's going to do. Yes. And so to make the world a better place, I would say, please be humble. Okay, what are you the most thankful for right now? My family. <laughs> I think I'm thankful mm-hmm. for my family. And because uh, growing up, even though it was hard for us, we had each other. And that's where one of my top values is family. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one of my fondest memories. I have a lot. But one of my fondest and closest memories is, uh, I'm getting emotional, but it was when, uh, it was in the winter and our water was off and our heat was off. And my mom with my five siblings, we, she told us to come to the living room and um, we just all slept in the living room in our uh, yeah, just slept in the living room in our um, with our with our uh, covers because it was cold and didn't have the heat, didn't have the utilities, uh, but in that moment, I was like, this is what matters is family. And so I value my family. I'm thankful for my family even now. Yeah, that's a (laughs) beautiful picture of what love does, isn't it? Yeah. Lastly, what is your favorite quote? And I'm thinking it might be your grandfather's (laughs) words, if I'm I'm on to you. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely my grandfather's words. Yeah. Every day. As it should be. As it should be. (laughs) Ralph, you have filled my heart today. You have taught me so much. You've been my teacher. It's just been such a joy to listen to your story and talk to you. And thank you for taking the time to answer all my questions and teach me. Oh, for sure. It was, it's an honor to even be here. Thank you for, um, you you know, inviting me and because it allows me to think about, you know, my life and where I'm at and where we're going. Mm-hmm. Awesome. The odds Ralph overcame to get where he is and become the person he is today are overwhelming. His path is not a straight one, but is precisely the path he needed to take in order to grow in the grace, knowledge, and understanding he encapsulates at this time in his life. His life story reminds me of the quote by Alexander Dumas in his book, The Count of Monte Cristo, where he says, only a man who has felt ultimate despair is capable of feeling ultimate bliss. 
I feel I can relate to so much of Ralph's heart, his love of learning, his desire to go deep, how he wants to help affect change for good on a large scale and for the future benefit of his children. I appreciate his balanced approach to life. He holds the tension of systemic racism in the here and now alongside his hope for change for future generations. He said it perfectly, the battle that wages inside of me. His poem, Vexed, captures this tension with poignancy. His hope in a better future does not negate the pain and hardship of the present moment, but he chooses not to focus on it. He embraces the feelings experienced by living in a society riddled with systemic racism, but he also embraces hope. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Ralph is the living, breathing example of the motto he posts on his website, the greatest message you will ever speak is given without words. It is how you live your life. I am so glad he quoted Dr. King on sincere ignorance. It is dangerous, intentional or unintentional. It certainly seems to fuel hate, self-preservation, and racism. I appreciated his practical advice for how to place ourselves in others' shoes by reading a book or listening to a podcast or just plain educating ourselves in order to help us foster understanding. I'm thankful for the reminder too that understanding does not equate to agreement. It is simply a way of showing respect. May we all remember that only we can control our responses to situations and choose to live with hope and humility as Ralph has. Thank you for listening to Gramercy. Remember, there is no them, just us. See you down the road.